how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Scott Teams grew up and went to film school in Georgia, and he's best known for his early work with Hal Holbrook on That Evening Sun, along with a producing credit as Holbrook in the Mark Twain story in American Odyssey, plus writing episodes of Rectify and Narcos Mexico, along with the new film The Quarry. The co-writer and director of The Quarry, Teams uncovers the story of a drifter, played by Shay Wiggum, who kills a traveling preacher and takes his place in a small-town church. But upon his arrival, the police chief, played by Michael Shannon, suspects something is wrong. Teams is heavily influenced by Eastern European and Polish cinema, but moves towards the Coen brothers for this film. And he has a writing credit on the upcoming movie Halloween Kills, the latest installment of the Michael Myers franchise. In this interview, we discuss personal Southern stories, how Georgia became a film hub, why he's intrigued by religion and violence, where to find exterior tension, why he hates agenda-driven stories, and what audiences can expect from Halloween Kills. If you enjoyed this interview, look for the print version on Creative Screenwriting's website, link in bio. My black and white VHS camera that we had in the early 80s was the same camera we had in the 1990s when I graduated from high school. Uh, but uh, So that was funny. But I, was, I just loved the way it felt in my hand, and I, I just from an early age, knew what I wanted to do with it. And so I was able to talk my teachers into letting me make little short films in lieu of book reports. I had this wonderful teacher in in the eighth grade named Miss Harrison who uh, really encouraged me to make movies. And I made four or five films in her class, little VHS movies. I'd edit them VHS, you know, VCR to VCR and and uh, it just was something I just always wanted to do. And I never really wanted to do anything else. Um, and so I ended up going to, I got a film degree. I went to Georgia State, went to the University of Georgia for a bit. And then Georgia State had a film program at that point. UGA didn't 
And so I went to state, got a degree, and uh, moved to New York right after college. And um, just got to New York and started just writing and making short films. And um, spent five years in New York just writing bad scripts and making little movies. But each script was a little less bad than the one before it. And and um, and little by little, I figured out how to write. I always knew I wanted to write my own scripts. I just I always wanted to tell uh, stories, you know, more personal stories, Southern stories. And those, you know, weren't getting made on any sort of large scale. So I realized pretty early I'd need to write my own or, or adapt my own or find my own stories to tell. And uh, so that's why I needed to write and learn how to write and uh, did that and until I figured it out. So I'm not far away. I'm in North Carolina where there's there's some filmmaking and television. What's kind of your take on the, the giant rise in, in filming and everything that's happening in Georgia these days? You know, it's interesting. I When I was in school there in the 90s, um, everyone was saying it's going to come here. That was the big thing. You know, everyone was talking about how this is going to be a hub for filmmaking. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it just never happened. And when I graduated uh, from college, I moved to New York because there wasn't a film, you know, uh, uh, business in Georgia then. And even if there was, I probably still would have. I think it's really important. It ended up being one of the most, you know, important things I ever did. I got away from my comfort zone. I got away from my backup plan. I got away from my family, um, meaning the security of family and, you know, and having a place to crash. And when, for me as a young filmmaker, that was really important to have to, to be living in New York. Not only was the community strong there, but also, you know, being on my own, having to like, you know, the cost of living is so expensive there. It's really important to, Every every day, every second counts, and so you really care. And then, I, as I was up in New York, I, you know, and and really when I moved to LA in 2005, you know, the late sort of aughts is when when the Georgia came on the scene, really. So for the last decade or so, it's it's been a real hub, and that's been great. I've filmed in Georgia. I, I uh, produced and wrote and directed on a show called Rectify, which shot in Georgia. And so every spring for three years, I was there for three or four months uh, living in South Georgia. And um, I love it. I'm glad I got a lot of friends who are employed in Georgia because of the, the film business there and, and the community there. And I think it's cool, man. I, 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 um, I'm glad. The same thing in Wilmington and the same thing in Louisiana and all the places and now in Kentucky and Oklahoma, there's lots of places where you can shoot now and and have a thriving film community, and it, it gives you more options as a filmmaker. You can more locations, more you know regions to film in. I think it's great. So you've kind of got you know you, where you grew up in the Georgia area, then you moved to New York and LA, as you mentioned. You've got kind of three perspectives coming in. What would you say um, maybe kind of goes across the board in your writing? Like what themes do you look for in your work? I've always been drawn to stories about, 
um, men and violence and religion in the South and those kind of and where those things intersect, where they explode, you know, where they crash together, where they meld together, you know, the good and the bad. Um, because those those ideas are all intertwined. You know, when you grow up in the South, as you know, um, for a majority of people, religion is sort of baked into who you are. It's a social obligation, where it's not that way in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. Um, and so growing up in the church and becoming a, a, a young man and an adult and then tr sort of trying to understand my relationship to religion and to the church and what I actually thought and believed and wrestling with that while also sort of um, wrestling with who I was as a, as a man and, and as a Southerner with my identity, leaving the South and then trying to understand my identity. Having children was a huge part, too, because then my kids, my son was born in New York. My daughters are born in L.A., and so they are not, their entire Southern experience is secondhand. When they got a little older, I started realizing that I wanted to impart some stories to them that related to my own experience and, and it caught a little bit of that Southern experience that I could sort of hand to them or, or share with them. And so all those things contribute, um, to sort of my perspectives on it. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't know, it, it, but, but whatever reason, those, those ideas, those themes, you know, God and religion, seem to pop up in my work and and um I like exploring that when it's when it's organic and authentic when it comes from when it's born out of the characters and the story not when it's ever dropped on top I have no interest in that and in fact I'm usually quite repulsed by stories that are that feel like propaganda or feel agenda driven and uh but when it comes from inside the characters or the story, and it, it springs organically, then you can actually, it can be a part of the conversation. It can be a part of the narrative, and you can explore different aspects of it. And um, that interests me, because my my relationship to to the church is always evolving and still evolving and changing and growing and being challenged, and um, for better and for worse, you know? It's definitely an ongoing topic. I mean, it's probably in all of Scorsese's work, but mostly set in New York. So where did this, a lot of those themes are in your new film. Where did you kind of get this idea for the quarry? Where did that come from? Yeah, it's actually based on a novel. Um, and uh, uh, so I read this novel 10 years ago and, and, um, and uh, it, again, because it hit all those topics, even though it was a South African novel, it hit all those men, violence, religion. It had all those elements in it. And, um, and it was, so this is post-apartheid stories and it's a white, black racial conflict in that story, um, or sort of white indigenous story you know, conflict. And so it, 
it um, felt like a real natural translation to Texas, also because it was sort of coastal South Africa, plains, sparse land. Just felt like when I read it, I just saw, you know, uh, the plains of Texas and I saw, um, uh, and, and, you know, sort of, and it obviously had a, we have a, our own racial conflicts and, and strifes in this country. And, and um, so it just felt like a natural translation. And, and again, because it embodied all those things that are interesting to me, I was drawn to it immediately. Um, and it has this universal premise. Stranger comes into town. You know, that story is classic and has been told before, but it can be, because it's universal, it can be placed in different contexts, different locations, different times and places, and it can feel new and fresh. And that's what I hoped this would be. That's what the, the novel felt like to me. It was fresh and new and interesting, even though it had this sort of trope at its center. Stranger comes into town pretending to be somebody who's not that idea. Um, is appealing to me and, and allows you. What's great about that premise is that you know where you're going. So it sets up an ending, meaning he's going to get caught or he's not, right? You know you're headed towards some sort of confrontation at the end. The cop and the guy are going to have a confrontation. And so when you know you're headed somewhere, that's, um, that's tense. that creates tension inside that space. And so as a storyteller, I love that because – you don't have to manufacture tension inside each scene. The tension comes from the outside. It comes externally, and it's pushing on the scene. So they're already so every scene is then loaded with tension, and so you can allow characters to exist, and you can allow them just to be. You can allow for silence because even the silence is loaded when the tension is coming from outside. And you know, every move they make, every line they speak, is going to is going to hide something or reveal something. You know, and and that's the dance that these two guys, particularly these two guys at the center of the story, are, are, are you know are engaged in. Um, and that's that's really exciting to me as a as a writer and, and as a, a filmmaker. Without uh, giving too much away, like I'm mainly talking about the beginning of the film, and it may just be from the ad- adaptation itself. How do you decide kind of where to choose points of mystery? Like you could just have this guy literally just show up in the town and have a backflash, but you kind of showed, you know, more of a scene between the two first. We don't know who he is. We don't know why he's there. And, and some, he's defensive about his, his background. How do you decide which points or like where to put the mystery, I guess? It's a great question because a lot of these kinds of stories are told the way you just described, meaning like it would begin with the stranger rolls into town. And then you just slowly begin to realize he's not who he says he was, he is, you know, and, and that's how a lot of stories are told. Um, and then the, the the goal of the movie, or the sort of the experience of the movie, is is who is this guy, and what is he hiding? And what I liked about the book, which the book is structured the same way as the movie, which is the you know who this guy is from the ten minutes into the movie. And so when he shows up in the town, it's not so much about who is he and what did he do. You know who he is. You know what he did, or at least part of what he did. Uh, then it becomes a different story. It becomes about what is he going to do? Um, what is the weight of his guilt? What, you know, what's the experience um, going to be like as this guy tries to hide 
um, his truth from those in the town. So you're with this guy as he's trying, as you know what he's trying to hide, as opposed to you're wondering what he's trying to hide. You know what he's trying to hide. Now it's about watching him try to hide it, I guess. And so it's just a different emphasis, I guess, on character, a different emphasis on what's important. It focuses something on something else. It becomes about, you know, guilt and conscience and sin and all these bigger ideas. I like the movie because it's about big ideas, um, but it's it's also at the same time it's a, a personal small story about a guy carrying this burden and trying to you know to you know trying to lie his way through this experience. It's very it's got it's intimate and it's sort of ethics it's got big ideas, but also it's a very small thing in its core. And I like that marriage of sort of the, the epic and the intimate. What do you say, what kind of films influence you? Do you love films of the 70s or like what kind of do you draw from when, you, when you're thinking of uh, getting in the director's chair and that kind of thing? Well, I've got, there's a lot of films that influence me. I mean, I, that may or may not have direct relation to this movie, but I think everything goes in the pot, you know. My favorite filmmaker of all time is is Krzysztof Koslowski, the Polish filmmaker. And I, I think, you know, Everything I do, just sort of, he is all over the top of it, and I see his influence in my work. Others, you know, may not, but it's and it's very different. The stories he's telling and the way he tells his stories are different than the quarry in a lot of ways. But I love Eastern European cinema and Polish cinema, um, and, and I love Russian cinema. I love Tarkovsky. I mean, those guys really influenced me. And, um. But I'd say more specifically for this movie, it's pretty impossible to tell us a sort of Texas noir story. Everything you do, everything said in Texas in the last 10 years, at least, you know, lies in the shadow of No Country for Old Men. And that's okay because I think it's, you know, probably the greatest film in the last 20 years. And and it's, um, I'm I'm happy to to like, draw inspiration from that movie, even if it's contemporary, um, because it's basically a perfect movie. And certainly the, the feel of that film uh, was an inspiration and a, and a sort of a, a touchstone, as I, just, as I talked about the movie, both with Michael Lloyd, the DP, and um, Aaron McGill, the production designer, and Al Broder, the costume designer, the whole, all the crew, that was you can't make a movie, a crime movie in Texas without talking about No Country for Old Men. At the same time, Paris, Texas is a huge influence on me, Vim Vendors. I love Vim Vendors and that film in particular, um, which has been a longtime favorite of mine. Um, I love, and, and I think, you know, I, I see, and that's more in the color. I mean, the quarry, the colors pop more. Um it's not muted like no country. It's 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 got more vibrance, you know, um, while maintaining some of that grip. But uh, you know, I'd say those two films um, are strong influences on on this one. But hopefully, the 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 ghost of Kislovsky hangs over everything. I see that you've got. Uh a story or credit on Halloween kills. Can you tell any details or maybe how you got involved with that or, or anything like that? <laughs> yeah. I, um, 
well, David Green has has been a friend of mine for a long time, and and uh, but we've never had a chance to work together. And he just called me up. I um, it was sort of a perfect blend. I'd been I'd been working with Blumhouse for a long time, and written a few things for them, and um, and with them, and and. I think they just realized that there was a cross section of Blumhouse and, and David Green. I was lying at the cross section there, and David called me one day. And after, as there was, he was editing the the first one, and and um, had this idea for the second one, and and asked me to work on it. And so he and I and Danny got together and brainstormed on the idea, and and um, I went off and. And wrote, and we wrote together, and and uh, built the story up. So I'm excited. I mean, I just saw a cut a few weeks ago, and and um, you know, I can't tell you much, of course, but I can tell you that it's um, to me, anyways, it feels like a a leaner, meaner version of the first one. It's 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 I, I like it a lot. I'm excited about it. I think it has some relevance to what's going on in our world today as well, which is which is which is great. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun to do something that's not so, you know, especially I was working on the quarry too, so it's which is obviously a very different kind of movie. But so it was fun to just kind of let loose a little bit. But I do think Halloween has a lot of um, of, of relevance and, and some some bigger things to say about the world too, which is cool. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.